Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our kingdom. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, no stranger to leathers myself. And joining him on this rigorously researched, rambuxtuous retrospective. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> I am Ash Versus, and I have no respect. For the Queensbury rules. Neither do I. Uh, this episode. Welcome. Em- <laughs> this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're off to a hot start. <laughs> this episode aired on January 28th, 1992, and our number one film at the box office, it's Oliver Stone's JFK. If I answer that question you keep asking, if I give you the name of the big enchilada you know, then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean like poignant. I mean like a bullet in my head, you dig? Does that help you see my problem a little better? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. Don't cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They call it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record, and we'll protect you. And I guarantee it. You are so naive. Man, this is a step up from Freddy's Dead. Yeah, we have gone from Bill and Ted's bogus journey to Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, to very, very serious JFK. And very long. This film, I believe, is as long as the last two movies put together. (laughs) It's 186 minutes before the director's cut. The director's cut pushes it north of 200. That's too long. It's too long for a film. And there's a lot to dive into, but it's too long. There is a lot to dive into on this film. First of all, This is obviously about the JFK assassination, or more specifically the aftermath and what followed. Secondly, Oliver Stone got a lot of shit for this movie. Uh, One review I saw mentioned that this was tabloid journalism film. And it they weren't necessarily saying it negatively. This was a positive review, but they were pointing out that this film is sensational. 
It takes facts, it mixes it with fiction, it makes some conjecture, but the problem is because people think of the JFK assassination as a real thing that happened, people weren't necessarily separating the fact from the fiction properly. And people were upset, there were editorials run. Um, during the film there was implication that Lyndon B. Johnson may have been involved in the assassination of JFK. Mm. Oliver Stone says he met with people that on their deathbed dying of cancer insisted that X, Y, and Z were involved in the assassination, that his own men fired on him, that this was happening. And people didn't react positively to that. He was also further scuppered by someone who did a set visit, a uh, writer who he'd actually gotten on with until that point, stole a copy of the script. No, it wasn't even the final script, but stole a copy of the script and used it to run copy and run articles and do analysis. And it was, yeah, it, it blew up. It also blew up at the box office, despite you know, quite a hostile reaction on an editorial level. It did get some positive reviews and it picked up speed. And eventually it did over $205 million Whoa, in worldwide. Yeah, that's on massive. a $40 million budget as well. That's, that's huge. Yeah, that, that's, that's damn good money, even by today's standards without inflation. Yeah. And especially for a film that is three hours. I mean, Lord of the Rings will do that, but that's Lord of the Rings. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just a shame that, it, 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 you know, we didn't know the information then, but we do know now that it was JFK himself that assassinated JFK. Um, thankfully, Red Dwarf for the people to reveal that truth. Yeah, Red Dwarf revealed who the second gunman truly was. <laughs> and kicking it at number one in the UK charts, it's still Wet 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 with Goodnight Girl. Now, last week... We didn't sh** on this song because really we didn't even do anything with this song because we were like, we don't know this song. This I hadn't gone to listen to it. I, I'd listened to a bit of it and it hadn't resonated and then I listened to it again. We just both listened to it. And um, my memories were fondled. <laughs> they were given a gentle caress. They were fondled. And I went straight back to being a teenager and getting some of my first Now compilations. Mm-hmm. And this song was on it. And as soon as it hit the main melody, I, I was, you were here. I was humming it. I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. Less than 20 seconds and we don't get shut down. This is- <laughs> and the thing is, the reason I'm so familiar with this song isn't because I was a fan of Wet, Wet, Wet. I really wasn't. It's because my Walkman at the time, which was my only method of listening to music, I didn't have mm. a personal, an actual stereo with external speakers. It couldn't fast forward. It uh- could only rewind. So whenever I was, li- I had to listen to every goddamn song on that now compilation, even the ones like this. And so, yeah, I became very familiar with it. Uh, so you said that you couldn't fast forward. Did you not think to just flip the tape over and do it that way? Bollocks. <laughs> Literal hours of my life wasted. I was just... Uh, hours. <laughs> Could have written novels, man. Oh, I've done one of those. It's not what it's cracked up to be. Um, really? You've written a novel? <laughs> what, what book's that? What book's that, Luke? <laughs> oh, I don't want to plug it. It's, it's, it's a cheap way to get it, to, get to plug that on here. What, a, che- a cheap way to plug your game on video game-based movies? <laughs> That's correct. Plug yeah. your game, plug your book on video game-based movies. Yeah, I'm not really here to do that. Um, I was just curious. <laughs> I was just trying to work out like, which Now uh, album it might have been on. Because I had uh, the Now uh, album that really springs to mind for me is Now 23. And I just wanted to know if this was the same Now album that you had. 
But the reason why it is a, uh, a Now album that really resonates with me is because it features Super Mario Land by the Ambassadors of Funk featuring MC Mario, was uh, preceded by Dr. Spin's Tetris. So I've just been back and I've looked at the track listing <laughs> of that Now album. It was Now 21. Yeah, whereas mine was Now 23 was what I was thinking. Of. Ah, okay. There was some dross on this album. But <laughs> on the it, Now album. But it was sandwich. <laughs> Listen to this track list and how it flip-flops back and forth. Track one, Bow Rap. Oh, well, classic. Track two, Goodnight Girl. Mm. Mm. Track three, Stay, Shakespeare's Sister. Ooh. Track four, My Girl, The Temptations. I was really sick of it by that point. Track five, Stars by Simply Red. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Oh, dear. Uh, track six, Justified and Ancient by Tammy Wynette and the KLF. Bloody hell. Yeah. And then track seven, It Must Be Love by Madness. Oh, what a tune. Track eight, I Can't Dance by Genesis. <laughs> I take back some of the things I said about the chart music at this time. These were banging. <laughs> um, I did oh actually... my God, track 11, Deeply Dippy by Right Said Fred. <laughs> followed by To Be With You by Mr. Big. <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy a copy of this. I wonder if it's on CD. Well, you can definitely just get the Now app, right? Because you can just listen to all the Now albums through that. That's not the point. <laughs> have you ever heard of Spotify? Shush. <laughs> Podcast is available via it. Um, I actually looked up the, the track Wet, 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 uh, Goodbye, uh, Goodnight Girl, rather. And I just thought I'd read out this comment here, uh, which was left by Herbert Munson two years ago. I'm a total metahead, like extreme metal. Let me confess to you, strangers, that this song has always been a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> uh, in terms of games that were released, uh, we've got Tiny Toon Adventures, Bam's Big Break, which was released for the Game Boy. It's not the Tiny Toons Adventure game that I'm mostly familiar with. That was the one that came out for the Mega Drive. But released on the NES in Japan this week, Bucky O'Hare. Wow. Oh, my. I loved Bucky O'Hare. I feel bad for Bucky because Captain Bucky O'Hare Captain Bucky O'Hare to, to give him his full <laughs> title because let's be honest Captain Bucky O'Hare was always in the shadow of the Ninja Turtles he was he was, he was a bit of a Ninja Turtles ripoff he was a lot of a Ninja Turtles <laughs> ripoff but you know no more than Samurai Pizza Cats and, and um, things of that ilk uh, I mean fair enough I will say Samurai Pizza Cats being a Japanese show I'm not sure how aware culturally they were of it Maybe, and, but yeah. I think the American translation was more of a ripoff yeah. Because in Japan it was like um, Cat Ninja Legends, and there was also some jokes that were cut out. All right, if I, okay, if we're yeah. going more of a Western approach then, Biker Mice from Mars. Oh my God, <laughs> Biker Mice from Mars not only was a ripoff, but was also utter dross. Uh, hey, now, I will have a bad word said about the Biker Mice from Mars. Then we're in for a long couple of years. <laughs> but Bucky O'Hare was such. And one of my all-time favourite theme songs for a kid's cartoon show. It is an absolutely banging tune. I can't remember it. Oh my god, it's so good. Captain Bucky O'Hare! He goes when an ordinary rabbit would dare. It's absolutely, it's a metal theme. It's so good. In fact, I'm, I'm going to play it for you right now. Okay, go for it, because I'm just like, I have no idea on this. <laughs> Another dimension, another time and space, a parallel universe is falling on its face. When out of the chaos, who else can it be? But the animal adventurers, so let's be ACE. Bucky, Captain Bucky O'Hare, mutants and aliens and toads beware. You're looking for adventure, will this is it?
Tokyo Harem the Toad Wars. The joy in your face while you're playing this is amazing. And I'll be fair, that is a banger of a theme tune. <laughs> so good. That, that, is, that is pretty damn spectacular. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, though, really, really good game. I think it was developed by Konami. I thought it might have been made by Capcom, but I think it was done by Konami. Really, really good game. It came out towards the end of the NES life cycle, so it was not printed in massive quantities. In fact, actually, if you want to pick up a copy now, I was just checking eBay this morning. A uh, unboxed copy of it. Uh, it's on eBay here for 175 pounds. Jesus! So it it will set you back a pretty penny if you want to get that, hold that's, of one. That's some that's some cash for rabbit. That is <laughs> cash for rabbit. I don't know, but you say Konami, even on a tie-in, particularly at that time. I mean, even if Konami half-assed it, that's still more ass than most studios had in their entire ass quota. <laughs> you know. Half a Konami arse was at least five tech mode arses, you know, like if you look at the arse exchange rate across the video game developers. Well, speaking of uh, the arse ratio among video game developers, why don't you tell us what's going on in the magazines? Well, what I can tell you is going on is that having survived a barrage of Nintendo lawsuits in America, the Game Genie is coming to England. <laughs> where companies give less of a shit. Well, where they're like, well, we've lost once, yeah. so... Uh, but not by Galoob. Galoob are not bringing it to the UK. It's been picked up by game developer Codemasters, <gasps> venturing into the hardware biz a bit there. Future developer of Micro Machines. Which was released on an unofficial <laughs> cartridge. Yes. Kind of, this was them testing their water to see how far they could annoy Nintendo. Yeah. Or Sega. Or yeah, both. Was, yeah, both. Just anyone in general, I think. Now, it's very interesting with the Game Genie because it came out, and obviously this is a device that you may be familiar with, where you plug it into your console, you plug the game into the top, you start up your console, and rather than going into the game, it goes into a moderately well-designed menu where you can type in 20 or 30-digit codes or whatever, and it will give you infinite lives. Yeah. Or or turn the screen upside down. Make you invincible. Or, like, give all the Cooper Troopers nipples and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Game Genie was a big name and it had a lot of advertising behind it. And while Nintendo tried to shut them down because they were claiming that... Um, I think there were a lot of different facets to them trying to shut them down. One is it was not an official peripheral. Two, it allowed you to f*** with the game. But also they were trying to claim that it allowed you to make derivative... Derivative... Deriv it's easy for you to say. This is my matronly. <laughs> Try the reverse. Yep. So, you know, they were trying to claim that it was making... Derivative. ...works. <laughs> the courts threw that out and Nintendo essentially... It, it They lost. Yeah. Sega took a very different approach. They went cool story bro seal of approval yeah they embraced it instead and that was kind of like that was a big tom kalinsky move didn't he in sega of america when he like became president of that um was to make sort of more radical moves basically if you were an enemy of nintendo you were the best friend of sega and you would just sort of welcome you in with into their matronly bosom and be like hey, hey let's work together like let's make let's make some magic happen let's you make know? some for a brief while, the Game Genie was not available in America at all. It was pulled off the shelves, but still available in Canada to the point where Galoob ran adverts for the Game Genie with the line, thank you, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Codemaster picked it up and they're bringing it to the UK. It's going to cost $39.99 for the Nintendo Entertainment System or $49.99 for the Mega Drive. That's a fair pretty penny. That is. But it lets you do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah to uh, to your games to bringing extra life to your games allowing you to do weird stuff or in most cases 
causing them to crash. Yeah. But there was a market for it. In America, despite all the problems, it shifted over a million units. That's pretty good. At least that's going by Galoob cell figures. I mean, <laughs> who knows what the actual figures there were. There aren't we, that many people in Canada. We've, we've learned by this magazine that sometimes fact is an <laughs> abstract concept. Oh, yeah. How is uh, Super Mario Brothers 4 getting on these days? Oh, <laughs> doing gangbusters when you play it on your Nintendo card for your PC. <laughs> A curious thing about the Game Genie is obviously it was big in America. It sold a lot. Over here in the UK, we already had a company called Daytel with their mm. Action Replay. Now, the Action Replay, a lot of people will associate, I think, primarily with the Super Nintendo. And then as we went on, it was also very useful on things like the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2, allowing not only the uh, modification of games, but also the ability to play import games and do all sorts of naughty-ish stuff. Mm. But it got its start on the Commodore 64 back when... An action replay allowed you to apply things called pokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said that with yeah. Bucky O'Hare is. <laughs> apply pokes to games. And they were available for the Amstrad. They were available, I think there was an Amiga one. There was an Amstrad one because that was where I was familiar with it because I had one hanging out at the back of my CBC 464. Nice. Made a lot of games crash. Yeah, that was always the thing with these little peripherals is that they were... I mean, yeah, sure, you got to do some really nice stuff with it if it worked and didn't crash your system or corrupt your game or anything like that. The most reliable codes were the ones that gave you infinite lives yeah. or meant that you were invulnerable to enemy fire. The infinite lives, I mean, maybe I'd have made it through Mega Man 2 that way, but they <laughs> did remove a little bit from the games. Some of the fun stuff was the stuff like, I don't know, everyone's skin is blue in Street Fighter yeah. or, you know, Blanca looks like he's not wearing any pants. Well, let's move on from some big green dicks into our first challenge. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what Games Master has got for us. Greetings. I'm delighted that you've chosen to join me again here at the fertile fount of game-playing challenges. We begin tonight with a truly anarchic escapade on a game called Road Rash. You'll be taking part in a frightful, unofficial motorbike race in which hot-headed youths punch and kick their way to the checkered flag at speeds of over 150 miles per hour. The challenge is to come first on the Redwood Forest stage. I'm afraid to say that amidst this rowdy rebel, he will need to ride with Beelzebub at your wheels. I tell you what, that video package made Road Rash look really good. I'm not the biggest fan of Road Rash, but that made it look wicked. Road Rash, the first game, has not aged that well today. Uh, the scrolling is quite jerky, even at the time. They were really pushing what the Mega Drive could do, but they were also breaking some new ground because here was a game where you didn't just race, you didn't just punch people, you raced and punched people. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of talking prototype GTA here. You didn't quite steal people's bikes, but you did punch them off them. See, Road Rash was a game I never really played a lot of, nor any of the sequels. I've actually, I think I've got a couple of them now for my in my Mega Drive collection. But I was actually more familiar with uh, Electronic Arts's other version of this game, which was essentially the exact same uh, principle, but rather than being on a motorbike, you were on rollerblades, and it was a game called Skitchin. Skitchin! Wow, and it was. Badass! It was so good. Again, a wicked soundtrack. I'm, I'm just, I'm hitting the memories. I, you know, to do a bad Alec Guinness, there's a name I haven't thought of in a long time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Old cool. Ben's kitchen, they called me. <laughs> yeah, like hanging off the back of cars. You could hang off the back of police cars, and that would get you one buck for every second you were hanging off the back of. You don't want to do it too long, because you will get arrested. I mean, that's doing a Marty. That's a Marty McFly. That's a... <laughs> that's what it made me feel like. It made me feel like I was playing the, the, the opening to Back to the Future. You slapped some Huey Lewis on the stereo. <laughs> you were there. It was a great game. Fortunately, we're playing Road Rash for it instead here. But you've got to get through Redwood Forest stage, and Gaze Master says you'll need to ride with Beelzebub on your heels to get through this one. Or Dominic, as we know him commonly. <laughs> <laughs> and revving up the aisle with his hands on his throttle for this challenge, having burned rubber all the way from Dartford, Richard Wiltshire! <laughs> Well, speaking of Dominic, he introduces Richard Wiltshire from Dartford as revving up the aisle with his hands on his throttle. <laughs> Dick jokes! <laughs> it is Richard Wiltshire from Dartford with a lovely jumper, and the crowd seem super into Rich. Are his family there? I don't know. They were either super... They were rowdy. <laughs> like, Dominic was like... Cool your tits, guys. Down, I mean, come on. Down. Totally Richard. It's the a, a first challenge. We, we, we've got... We've got celebrities coming up. <laughs> I think they got so revved up, not to use a pun there, by watching a video package where they were like, hang on, you get to race and punch someone. This is the greatest game I've ever seen. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> My God. It's worth pointing out before we get too far into it that Road Rash was a quite a long series. It mm. ran right up until 2000 odd. Yeah. Number of games. By the last one, any attempts at being a serious racing game were lost and you were literally racing as Vikings. It was a bit... <laughs> crap i think 2003 was the last one game boyish i remember yeah. seeing a game boy advance game however road rash 2 was actually exactly the same sprites and exactly the same graphic elements and they just worked out how to get a bit more oomph out of the mega drive engine so they could go cool more tracks by the way split screen that was a game changer split screen racing at that time as anyone that's played mario kart will tell you is is a game changer and then you throw in weapons much like mario kart you know, wars have started over less. I always remember being fascinated by Electronic Arts games as well for the Mega Drive because the cartridges looked different to every other cartridge that you would get for the Mega Drive. They were much bigger. And they had the yellow bits at the side. That's right, yeah. And I only learned later in life via um, Blake Harris's book, Console Wars, that it was basically because Electronic Arts, Trip Hawkins had got his team to reverse engineer Mega Drive games. Because the way that Nintendo and Sega operated at the time was that, yeah, you can make games for us, but you've got to buy the cartridge from us. And you can only buy X amount of them per year. And so Trip Hawkins was just like, no, I'm just going to get my team to reverse engineer how to make a Mega Drive game. And then essentially just say, I've worked it out now. And now we need to work out a deal. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep releasing games for this and you can't stop me. Nintendo would have taken them to court. I don't know if Sega did attempt to sue them. No, Sega worked out a deal with them in the end. Smart move. Smart move. Again, that's a Tom Kalinske thing of just like, no, let's work together. I mean, especially smart move because, okay, we look at where things like the FIFA games are now and what a horrific yeah. loot box cluster that is. But then you you look back then, and I'm thinking of like FIFA 94. We're a few years ahead now, but FIFA 94 on the Mega Drive? Yep. That was... That was some banging stuff. Oh, mate. I was, was it a, FIFA 94? Well, FIFA International Soccer was the first one. Then it became FIFA 95 the following year. Um, but my jam was FIFA 97 because I had indoor football. Five-a-side oh. indoor football. I can't remember which FIFA game. It was the first FIFA game for the Super Nintendo that I remember. Because I remember there was a cheat where you could use the shoulder buttons to make the ball curve around. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> but it meant that you turn that on and games took on a whole new dynamic because you would lob the ball from the midway line and then steer it <laughs> like a guided missile. Your opponent's player would run up to try and intercept the ball and you would use it, the ball, to run circles itself around the player. Now, Richard, you've never actually played this game before, but you're a bit of a biking boffin, aren't you? Yep, I've placed everything on the Amiga, and that's a good racing game, and I enjoyed that. I'm good at that, so I reckon I can handle this. Okay, now, in this game, you've got a kick punch, generally get a bit dirty. Can you handle that? Well, I think so. I'll sort of hang on, there was a cheat mode where, where you use a machine gun, but I've never used my bare fist before. Okay, if you'd like to sit yourself down in a hot seat, we'll get ready to play, Richard. Well, unfortunately, while you played a lot of that game, Richard Wilshire from Dartford has not played a lot of Road Rash, as he admits here. He says that he's not really played the game before, but he does know his bikes. Has played Super Heat on the Amiga, though, and that's got a cheat in it, which lets you have a machine gun. Neil West is back from Sega Power. Hey. I, I think they make a gay bar joke here, because this is what he said. No stranger to leathers himself. Oh, uh, I'm here with Neil West from Sega Power. No stranger to leather himself. Could also mean he's a biker. Or could just mean he's a biker. I'm only going by Dominic Diamondisms here. D Diamondisms. <laughs> New word for the podcast, Diamondisms. I mean, I've literally written here, it probably wasn't, but the show's turned me into this. <laughs> Now, Neil West gives a very good bit of advice here that Richard completely ignores, which is, yeah, attacking people is fun, but it wastes time. This is a short race. Get to the front early and maintain that lead. Who could have imagined the point of a racing game was to race? It's a shocking concept and one that, yes, Richard does fail. He ignores because he just wants to punch every single person that he reaches. And it keeps coming back to him. And the glee on his face every time he punches someone up a bike is like me listening to the Bucky O'Hare thing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for Neil because between being ignored on this front and then being ignored last episode with the jump on Zoom which after every challenger, he's like, don't forget to the jump. jump. <laughs> they didn't jump. <laughs> Look, guys, this is a crap game. Will you at least jump? He's like, am I invisible? Am I a ghost? Why is no one listening to me? <laughs> uh, but Rich does fairly well. You know, he's punching everyone. Um, and he climbs up to eighth and then hits a car, which falls him back to 11th. Oh, Wiley Coyote pancake against the side really of this car. was. He didn't know his green cross code he didn't know splink and it's at this point here i noticed that he's holding the mega drive pad like it's an arcade or i've written a keyboard here but he's got it laid on his lap and he's using his fingers uh to control left and right and sort of like his other fingers to do a b and c as opposed to using your thumbs yeah interesting i've only ever seen someone use that sort of style when playing fighting games because it's easier to do combos and stuff and i know that from my friend will because he was amazing at street fighter 2 See, I do a similar thing when I'm playing Street Fighter 4, uh, which, despite the fact there's now a fifth one, still my go-to game. Yep, great, great I will version have, of Street Fighter. I will have half of the joypad kind of on my knee, kind of mid-thigh mm -hmm. area, and that'll be the bit with the buttons on. I've got one of the Mad Cats fight pads, decent ones before they went bobbins, and then they went back to being reasonable, and then they went bankrupt. <laughs> And then the D-pad will be off the side. So I can play the D-pad in the normal way with the thumb, but the six buttons, I'm tapping with fingers like a keyboard. Claw. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get the, I get the fighting claw. Yes, yeah, and it's interesting to watch him play it this way. It makes me think that he was probably a PC player. Well, he said he was an Amiga player. So that's like, that, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense then. And so he would have been used to actually having the joystick grasped firmly in his hands. As a diamondism. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, while he fingered the buttons. <laughs> 
Uh, Ridge climbs up to seventh, manages to get to second place, but the race is sadly over. Effectively, if he hadn't, the crash hurt him. The crash and wasting time by punching people really hurt him. Um, and that's it. He, and he lost. And to your point, he says the green cost code let him down. Also, twatting into the side of the car really let him down. I mean, yeah, he did say, much. once I hit the car, I was done for. That was it. Totally. I also noticed, actually, while we were talking about his joypad technique, that dude had some restless leg. Mm. His leg was like... All over the show. It, it was like a rabbit in spring. It was like... It was a very, very close race. 1.6 seconds between you and the eventual leader, Viper. What went wrong for you? Well, obviously the crash. I had no time to practice my green cross code as I went through the intersection. I had to go flat out to win. Right. I was unlucky there was a car coming at the same time. Okay, well, unfortunately, we can't offer you our prize, but have you enjoyed coming to play games, oh, it's been a great laugh. Well, we've okay. enjoyed seeing you streak through the forest, Richard. Uh, Dominic Diamond says that he did enjoy watching him streak through the forest. I mean, actually, that's quite a tame one by the comparison of the past couple of episodes. It really was. Now, before we go on to our celebrity challenge, let's take a peek at this week's reviews. This week, it's fantasy role-playing games. First up, return to the time when dinosaurs ruled the Earth and Mars bars were only 10p in Shadow of the Beast. Lovely graphics, nice backgrounds, nice animation, but the gameplay sucks a bit. And after a while, you just get a bit jarred off. Looks good, plays fast, uh, but doesn't offer anything new in the final analysis. It's a bit of a disappointment. It's got a big name, but not the gameplay to back it up. Uh, right, well, let's head into the review zone now. And this week, it's fantasy games. Woo! Uh, doing our reviews this week is Jeremy Delory from Zero Magazine, Trenton Webb from Amiga Format, and Joe Dever, who is a fantasy writer. Mate, he wasn't just a fantasy writer. He was, he was the, the fantasy, fantasy writer. writer. I'm assuming you are familiar with him or have done your research. I've or done a bit my about... research, yeah. I wasn't familiar with the name. I, had to, I did that to Wikipedia him. I was familiar with his series of books, the Lone Wolf books, because I was a big fighting fantasy fan as a kid, and therefore any other book that looked or smelt like a choose-your-own-adventure with a bit of fantasy element, I was all over. I had no idea they kept going for as long as they did, to the point where he was still working on the final three when he passed away not that long ago. Yeah, November 29th, 2016. However, I'm very happy to see that his family completed the books and they were actually released as recently as summer uh, 2019 oh cool so I'm I'm going to go back because they've also been reissued I think as a mobile app as well they've, oh, nice. they've done what Fighting Fantasy did taken the old games give them a bit of a spit and a polish and put them out on a mobile which I think is a great way to keep that format alive most interesting fact about him not only was he a well-established author that created his own world created his own book series and indeed his own tabletop RPG he was the first British person to win the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons American Championships in 1982. He certainly was. Hat off. <laughs> I'm not wearing a hat. Metaphorical hat off because this guy's a dude. And also, what a banger of a guest to get in to talk about fantasy games. Yeah, it's, it was weird because they haven't done this up until this point. I don't think they do this past this episode either. But you've got someone here, clearly a gaming fan as well. Like he would go into working on video games after, you know, during his sort of writing career in the mid 90s and stuff. Mm. So it just felt. And there were some Lone Wolf games as well. Exactly, yeah. So it just felt very nice to have someone who is very well versed in this genre to not just give you from a gaming perspective, but also from a sort of a fantasy lover's perspective. It makes me want to see more of this particular set of reviews because I'm like, I really want to know what he feels about this set of games. Uh, unlike Jared. Jared <laughs> just like, 
like Shadow of the Beast. Nah, mate. Yeah. Looks pretty, but fairly boring. You'll be jarred off. Yeah. Which I had to double check wasn't <laughs> another euphemism and actually does just mean quite bored. Yeah. East Anglia, apparently. Yeah, unfortunately, we do kick off with Shadow of the Beast for the Amiga, which gets a quite pitiful 59%. Dominic Diamond introduced it as a time of dinosaurs and when Mars bars were only 10p. Uh, this game will actually crop up in the consultation zone down the line in this series as well, where a dad says that his kids bought it for him. And you're like, oh, mate, go and buy these reviews. Yeah, your kids must hate you. Yeah. <laughs> Or they went to the bargain bin. It's like, what have you got for 99p and a, and a Twizzler? Yeah, Delory, Delory says, it's got lovely graphics, but the gameplay sucks. And then Joe uh, Dever tells us that it doesn't offer anything new in the final analysis, while Webb tells us that it uh, says it has a big name, uh, but not the gameplay to back it up. I mean, it does have a, quite a big name, Shadow of the Beast. That's quite a few characters. Indeed. Interestingly, according to the Wikipedia, in 1996, Computer Gaming World declared Shadow of the Beast the 76th the best computer game ever released. I mean, everyone's entitled to an opinion. <laughs> they're entitled to be wrong, but they're entitled to an opinion. Um, I only bring that up as well because um, CGW will come up again in this review section going against what Games Master are telling us. Oh man, there's, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, let's roll we'll on get... to the next one because the next one is such an important game. Next up on the Amiga, become a deity for a day and rub shoulders with gods from Zeus to Priapus in Populous 2. It's great to see how the, the races build and conquer and you really do sort of care for these little sprites as they're running around. It's one of those games, you think five minutes has passed and it's four hours. You've, you really just get absorbed into the game. Lots of brilliant graphics, brilliant gameplay, one of the best games around. Oh my God. Populous in general as a series. Negatives, it gave us Peter Molyneux in the state <laughs> he's in today. Back then, Peter Molyneux, great guy, gave us Populous, gave us Populous 2. It all kind of went tits up from black and white onwards. Mm, yeah. I still have a soft spot for Fable. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the game he promised. No. Nor was Fable 2. That sounds like a Peter Molyneuxism, that. Nor was Fable 3. <laughs> and so on. Uh, well, Joe Telford tells us that uh, you do care for these tiny little sprites as they run around interacting with gods, uh, while uh, Webb says that you think five minutes have passed and it's actually been four hours. I can attest to that. I played a lot of... Uh, I think it would have actually been the original Populous, but Populous 2 is just an evolution of that. So, yeah, I lost... I, I, I was using the computer that was meant from my parents' accounts and I was playing a floppy disk version of Populous. I had that and I had Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia, I kept dying, so I went to Populous where I made lots of little people die. <laughs> but yeah, hours were passed. I've never actually played any of the Populous games. Um, obviously, I know all the, the impact and everything it had, but it's I, I've never actually played any of them. I don't know if I've got the patience for this sort of game. The closest thing I can think of is I, I used to play a lot of Megalomania on my Mega Drive. You, you, there were parallels. Yeah, I, which I think is a parallels to it. But that was very quick and sort of fast-paced at times. Whereas I think I do not have the patience for something which is kind of this involved. Maybe it's also a platform thing. I think Populous was made for the Mega Drive. I think uh, yeah, was well, a yeah. port. I think it probably was a port at some point, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the secret, is if we put it on a Mega Drive, 
you're fine with it. <laughs> I would have played it. It's kind of like it's kind of like hiding the antibiotic in the dog's food. You know, you you, you wrap it in bacon, they're fine. Well, to be that good takes ages. <laughs> uh, and, uh, we'll get on to Oh, you're tempting fate now, boy. Finally, on the PC, a medieval romp around ye oldie Merry England in King's Quest V. It's not pushing back the boundaries. Looks good, but it's a bit too cute for my liking. It's so American and apple pie that you just want to vomit every time you load it up. <laughs> There's no sex, no violence, and absolutely no fun, I'm afraid. Uh, but our last review is uh, Populous, by the way, 94%. A whopping score for Populous 2. Uh, not so much for King's Quest V on the PC, though, uh, which um, Webb says is a bit too cute. Uh, and then <laughs> Delory says, it's so American, you want to vomit apple pie. And it is also criticized for being boring, no sex or violence. And I'm like, mate, this is 1992 video games. Unless you're banging out Leisure Suit Larry on the PC, you're not getting much sex. <laughs> exactly. And we're still a little bit away from Mortal Kombat. Indeed. Uh, so this is where we come up to the other computing gaming world uh, part where they go against what Games Master are telling us. Uh, Computer Gaming World named the game as its 1991 Adventure Game of the Year. And in 1992, named it in the magazine's Hall of Fame for games readers rated highly over time. I actually think Games Master are being unfair on this game. I'm not saying CG World are right, but one thing I will point out, this game shifted half a million units worldwide. It yeah. revolutionized how the King's Quest games were presented. It did away with the text parser and went more point and click. And yeah, it sold a, a bucket load and changed how the games were perceived. Was it to the taste of the people reviewing? No. But I don't think they were necessarily right on this one. I think time has actually stood against them on that one. And it might just be a case of if you're not a fantasy fan, then these games aren't going to appeal to you in the same way that, like, you know, a sci-fi game is going to. There's a lot of exposition. Yeah. There's a lot of exposition, a lot of story. Obviously, this is a floppy disk release that they're reviewing. It did get an enhanced CD-ROM version, which uh, included music, voice acting of varying quality. <laughs> yeah. It ran the full, like, spectrum between... Patrick Stewart and this wizard comes from the moon. It, it was the whole mm -hmm. nine yards. But it had a lasting impact and launched, I think there's been another seven, eight, nine wow. King's Quest games. There's been loads. Yeah. I think it might still be going now. Mario! He's back. And now for this week's feature. The battle for the British console market is fiercer than ever, with Nintendo and Sega locked in a multi-million pound advertising war. Sega marketing supremo Philip Ray had a wee chat with us about Sega's battle plan. I think Nintendo probably take a more Unilever type approach to marketing, which means that they are probably more conservative. We like to do things which are a little bit off the wall and a little bit rebel-rebel because we feel that the Sega brand needs to be seen to be street cred. If any one man is responsible for the street cred appeal of Sega's hardware, it has to be Jimmy, the swarthy game-playing star of Sega's campaign. Well, can't play Super Monaco all day long. Not unless you have one of these. Jimmy is a hero. He always gets the women. He's brilliant at playing Sega games. If he played pool in the pub, he'd win. Um, he's probably got a Harley-Davidson bike, and he's probably a brilliant surfer in California. So with all those things, I think every man would um, love to have those qualities. Maybe, but Jimmy's creators were hopelessly wrong with their early ideas of how a game-playing hero should look. 
that it was horrifying because uh, we got it so horribly wrong. Our character was long-haired, rough, a bit dirty, and all the kids came back saying that they thought that sort of person was a bit of a granddad, really. And uh, they wanted someone much more clean-cut and much younger. The revamped Jimmy now lives in his customised trailer from where he spearheads Sega's assault on Nintendo in the British market. It's a battle which looks set to run well into the 90s. Game over, sunshine. Well, something that isn't going now, unfortunately, is uh, the Sega Mega Drive. And let's have a very, very odd feature for a TV show. Talking about Sega Mega Drive's marketing. You want to talk about an EPK, this isn't even an actual electronic press kit. This is more the concept of a press kit. Yeah, it, this a is deconstruction. So weird. This is a deconstruction of a press kit. Yeah. This is this is like this is avant-garde or crap. Yeah. Uh, this is two lads sitting down and telling you how we're selling you a, a Sega Mega Drive because they want you to buy the games and they're telling you not only should you buy the games, here's how we're telling you to buy the games. Such a weird thing to put on a show. It introduces us to a character called Jimmy. Who in the name of Greek buggery is Jimmy? I don't remember Jimmy. I and... do not remember the concept of Jimmy. <laughs> I, I I remember to be this good takes ages, to be this good takes Sega. Give me a cyber razor cut. <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. I just don't remember this guy at all. No, and when I was looking for Sega Mega Drive adverts in the UK on YouTube, I could only find one which had Jimmy in it, and it was for Sonic the Hedgehog. Once you start playing Sonic the Hedgehog... Everything else... Seems a little bit slow. So it makes me think that this was not a long-lasting part of Sega's marketing. I mean, let's look down the line here. We have Jimmy. He's clean-cut, young, lives in the back of an 18-wheeler. Like, not in the cab, in the trailer. Yes. So kind of in, in like, the backside of Optimus Prime almost kind of going on there. And he has a big PA system on top of it. It's a cool he setup. It did. I mean, I'll be fair, the only decent bit about it is I'm like, man, I wish I lived in the, the trailer <laughs> of an 18-wheeler with a kicking stereo system. Being attacked by ninjas. <laughs> to be honest, every house has its flaws. Some have damp issues. Some have Japanese devil weed. Some have ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> you, do the, you do the site survey and they're like, structurally it's sound, but we found ninjas in the <laughs> attic. Also, it may flood. You may... <laughs> With ninjas. Yeah. You might want to put some cheese down on traps. Ninjas love cheese. So, you know, clean clean cut, uh, clean shaven, young, perfectly permed hair, leather jacket. He's essentially the Fonz, but a douchebag. Yeah, because he is... So they tell us, we've got uh, Philip Lee, who's the marketing director of Sega Europe, telling us how Sega are selling the Mega Drive to us. And they're doing things off the wall. Nintendo are too conservative. Sega are more rebel rebel. They were, they described Nintendo as having Unilever marketing, which I'm just like, <laughs> wow. Wow, I'm six years old. I'm so interested. <laughs> but looking back on it now, I'm like, in the advertising world, that was the equivalent of your mother joke. That was just like, oh, <laughs> he compared Nintendo to Savlon or something. Yeah. yeah. So they introduced Jimmy, who's their new mascot. He's a guy who gets all the girls. Not only can he woo the girls, he can do it while playing Super Monaco on his Game Gear. 
He says it allows him to play Super Monaco all day long. And I'm like, mate, not with that battery life. <laughs> no, Your leather jacket's lining will not survive the stack of AAs that you are going to require. Unless what maybe what was out of sight was a really long extension lead <laughs> running it. That's why he was slow dancing it so they didn't yeah. get tangled up. And he's like, and step over the cable. But yeah, he, he just struck me as a douchebag. And even at the time, going by the fact that, you know, we both watched this show. Mm-hmm. And we both were into video games. We not only don't remember the adverts, we don't remember this section. Other bits I remember, other bits come back to me, particularly about this episode, as we'll get on to next. Yeah. But this bit doesn't at all. No. It's because he's kind of an asshole. I mean, here he is. He has this, one would assume, lovely young lady on a date. They're slow dancing. Things are going well. He's probably at first base at this point. He's slow dancing while playing a game behind her. That's no way to treat someone you're on a date with with respect. That's just rude. He's not even playing a good game. He's not even playing a co-op. <laughs> if they were sat, Sonic and Tails. Yeah. Maybe, you know, year later, Road Rash 2. Exactly. Play some columns. Columns. Zoom. <laughs> Taking it in turns on Zoom. Toe Jam and Earl. Totally. Well, Philip Lee tells us about Jimmy. He said, Jimmy's a hero. If he played pool in the pub, he'd probably win. <laughs> Holy hell, now we're talking cool. Yeah, yeah. When I think of cool people, I think of people that play pool, pool in, the in the back the of a pub. I mean, the reason he'd win pool is because he'd steal your girl and you'd just be sat there crying because he was a douchebag. And then caps it off with by not only saying, like, if he played pool in the pub, he'd probably win. He says... He's probably a surfer. <laughs> and really good at that. And then we get the second interview of this feature, which is from Robin Weeks from WCRS Advertising, who tells us that we got Jimmy wrong at first. We made him rough and dirty. Then kids told us that he looked like a granddad. They wanted someone who was cool. So Jimmy lives in a customized trailer with games and stuff. Games and stuff. Now, I took offense at this bit because I saw that sketch of Jimmy and I'm like, hey, I resemble that <laughs> remark. I've got that. I mean, basically, they created a gaming snake Pliskin. That was what the, the sketch resembled. Like he was older, he had kind of the resemblance of a beard, he had a pony. I mean, yeah. he was me. <laughs> and to be fair, I am approaching an age where I can be called granddad by oh. people, so Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Yeah, I, I they, they it was weird because obviously they were trying to introduce us this character who was cool. Spoiler, he really wasn't. But also they admitted that they cocked it up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, it's quite refreshing to see them talk about how they got it wrong. But at the same time, it, it is, this, this was just a weird segment. I mean, I've written here, essentially, this was boomers trying to market something to millennials and not understanding what a millennial was. Dot, 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 not much has changed. No. And the best thing is that huge slam on Nintendo at the beginning. You know who's still standing right now? Yeah, Unilever. Right. Yeah. Do you know who else is still standing? Nintendo. Do you know who is relegated to a relatively small office and no hardware presence at all? Sorry, Sega. Sorry to say, indeed. Well, speaking of being sorry, our Celebrity Challenge is coming up next. Let's find out what it is from the Games Master. Welcome back. I hope you weren't put off by the rather violent nature of my first challenge, as I'm sorry to say my second offering is also not in terribly good taste. It's taken from a game called Heimdall and is set in the drunken atmosphere of a Viking tavern. You have two minutes in which to throw an unlimited number of axes to sever the maiden's eight blades and save her from the bawdy Vikings. 
Uh, but beware, because you're somewhat um, sozzled. The cursor is extremely volatile, so you'll need to muster all your wits to release the axe at the correct moment. Good luck, young man. A fair maiden's honour is resting on your aim. You know, fair play to him. He hopes that we weren't put off by the violence of the first challenge, as this one isn't much better. Oh boy, is it not? <laughs> yeah, because this is Heimdall for the Amiga, uh, where you've got to free a maiden with braids uh, attached to... Um, oh, well, they've got the stocks, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, it is stocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah th th this girl is in stocks and has multiple plats that are attached to it. Yes. And then you have to throw axes at said braids in order to free her, but you're also pissed, and so the controller's wibbling about a lot. It is. The, it, 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 your, your cursor has Brewer's Droop, essentially. It, it's <laughs> all over the place. Um, I actually got a quote here from Ellie Gibson's Eurogamer article that I referenced in the last episode because they talk about this game in particular. Uh, director Cameron McAllister recalls a game called Heimdall, which featured a Viking girl tied to a set of stocks by her hair. Quote, you have to throw axes at her head and cut the braids and release her, he says. And of course, every other axe would land straight in her head, which we all thought was hilarious. And Games Master creator Jane Hewland said, that was outrageous. Uh, quote, we had all these mothers writing in. But we saw that as a good sign. If we didn't get on to write to reply at least once a series, we weren't doing our job right. I'm amazed that's what caused the write-in where Dominic Diamond was talking about fresh balls and a soft forehand only <laughs> an episode ago. Well, we have got here, as I put in uh, big quotation marks, celebrity, and uh, is five times darts champion Eric Bristow. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Big Bristow, he was a celebrity. I mean, I grew up with Bullseye and my granddad watching that. And so to me, actually seeing Bristow on this was like, wow, this is unexpected. Hey, I know to... who this guy he is. He wasn't I'm a celebrity. He was, he was a five times world champion. Yeah. Now, the competitor on this challenge requires a steady throwing arm and bags of confidence. Who better than the greatest darts player in the history of the game, five times world champion, Eric Bristow? <laughs> Now, Eric, you've come out with a good few nine dart finishes in your time, but you're playing with a different set of arrows tonight. How confident do you feel? That's a different game. I've had a practice at it, but I'm, I'm not brilliant at it. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's different, isn't it? Right. Now, we have to say it's quite difficult to control because being a Viking, you've had a night on the tiles and you're a bit full with alcohol. Will this affect your throwing? Well, I'm used to a night on the tiles, but I mean, <laughs> not too much alcohol, especially when you throw at it, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a bit more dangerous there. That's, that's for sure, yeah. He comes up and he, uh, Dominic Diamond calls him the greatest darts player in the history of the game. He's putting him over massive. I think Dominic was a legit darts fan because oh, yeah, totally. he knew his shit on this. Yeah. He he also, he really wanted to be Jim Bowen in Bullseye. Yes. He, he even did a few passable impressions, but his entire patter changed during this. And Indeed. he was, I think he was doing his best to make Bristow feel comfortable, which was a hard job because Bristow looked bemused or bewildered for a lot of it. Yeah. He said that he's had a go and he's not brilliant, but you know, something a bit different. And uh, they talk about the fact that the uh, character is uh, had a night on the tiles. And Eric <laughs> says, oh, you know, I'm used to a night on the tiles. <laughs> no <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, obviously, sadly, uh, Eric Bristow is no longer with us. Uh, he passed away uh, on April 5th, 2018 of a heart attack while at uh, the Premier League darts at Echo, in the Echo Arena in Liverpool. He died doing what he loved, he getting drunk. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you want to see if the crafty Cockney can rescue the maiden, or will his arrows go all over the place, join us after the break.
second generation petrol is designed for today's engines to actually stop harmful carbon deposits clogging up your car's heart, keeping it pumping cleaner. And a clean engine means less harmful exhaust gases, which is better for you, for your car, and for him. Sega the Mega Drive with Sonic the Hedgehog game, 16-bit console which plays over a hundred exciting high-tech games with high-quality graphics. Toys R Us price $126.94. There's millions of every under one roof. It's called Toys R Us. Toys R Us. Toys R Us. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, no, no. You can't put that in there. It's fine china. Uh, yes, 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 I can. Wedgwood approve for this ultra because it cleans and cares for patterns like this. Says who? Says here. Okay. Brilliant cleaning starts with finish. Welcome back to Games Master. Presently in our game playing hot seat is five times world darts playing champion Eric Bristol. And he'll be attempting to free the blonde maiden by launching axes and cutting the plaits of her hair. And as we come out of the ad break, we get the Games Master debut of the Games Animal. Dave Perry. Yeah, no animal. No, he's not no animal, animal yet. He's no animal. There's no bandana. There's no leather jacket. In oh, fact, you no. can tell he just whipped the monk costume off because he's wearing stage blacks. Yes. Plain Dave. Plain Dave. And I'll be honest, no real personality. Really not. I was so excited to see Dave Perry there. I was like, oh my God, it's the debut of Dave Perry. What's he going to say? And I've just got here, Dave is very plain. He is very plain, and I do wonder which one of the other commentators had to like catch the last train home. Because <laughs> it does feel like 
he wasn't originally meant to do that bit. Maybe that was the point where he was starting to go, I want to get in on this a bit. I yeah. don't just want to be, you know, wearing brown cloth. I want to get in there and, and you know, root around the commentary box a bit. Because Dave is going to become a big part of this show. And the, uh, the, the rivalry between him and Dominic Diamond is something that is going to grow and grow and grow until we get to the, uh, the infamous Super Mario 64 incident. Oh, which, mate, we're we... going to have our own JFK film on our hands. <laughs> Which we'll certainly dive into when we get to that point, which I'm very excited to get I'm, to that I'm point. very excited to get to that point. That will be a double top episode. That will be <laughs> that will be that will be extra length. There'll be freeze frames, there'll be extra footage. <laughs> back and we'll, to the left. Back and to the left. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, but he's, he's very plain Dave here. Uh, we get into the challenge itself, and it just starts with Eric hitting the maiden again and again <laughs> and again. <laughs> again. And, and again, again. <laughs> he essentially is like, okay, and Eric Bristow's underway and thunk, oh, thunk, axe in the head. And then he comes back, thunk, thunk, axe in the head. And then he doesn't hit her in the head with the next axe. He also doesn't cut a braid, but then he hits her in the head again. <laughs> yeah, he does. And he, when they do briefly cut him, and they don't cut him much, but the look of concentration on his face. He's, he's trying, like, He's yeah. trying. He's also really confused because I imagine when he first picked up the joystick, he tried to throw it at the television. <laughs> Weirdly, they would have been better off like putting him in a situation where there was one of those kind of interactive arcade machine kind of things. Yeah, totally. Like maybe a whack-a-mole or something. <laughs> yeah, he finally gets on a roll. Uh, there's 30 seconds gone and he's not in a single braid. Now we're getting on a roll here. Five in a row. Yeah. Five in a row. That's like over half. There yeah, we go. It's, it's I was just... trying to work out the, 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 the breakdown. I'm like two. Thirty-three, over half. Over I half. call it over half. Yeah, over half. But I was really impressed with that volley because he clearly briefly had a moment of clarity in a moment where he got it because it was bish, 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 bish. Indeed. All done, and then <laughs> her in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep the pattern up. Hits him in the head with an axe. And Dave Barry actually gives us one good bit of insight into the commentary where he says that the three that he's got left are the three that he struggled with in practice. And I thought that's actually a nice bit of commentary there. Now I've got some I've got some context as to why he's struggling with these three so much. These are the three that he struggled with all day long. Or at least in, the one time he tried to play it. And in fairness, the cursor does seem to be the least responsive and the least directional yeah. at that point of the screen. And it will drift completely off the actual uh stock's target area. Yeah. I think what he well, what he needed to do, at least for, as far as I can tell watching the game, is almost like just lift it off and let it come back down again. But he's he's just trying to like angle it upwards from it trying to push itself down. He'd been better off just pushing it right to the top, let it drift down, and then control it from there. Um, but he does, you know, he does fairly back well. And to the left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But he does fairly well, you know, he's got 30 seconds left and he's already got one of them, he's got one down, 10 seconds to go, he's got one more to get, and he does come very close. Also, <laughs> are in the head again. Yeah, well, again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, he fails. Now, if it's very, very close, you were your usual cool, unflappable self, but the interesting thing is, the last plot there was about in the double 16 area, which is usually your favourite finish. That's right, yeah, I've been missing that as well lately, so that <laughs> doesn't matter. Now, the bottom ones were harder. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's Okay, hard. well, now, listen, Eric, as Jim Bowen would say, you're a lovely smashing bloke, but here's what you would have won. Our brilliant Games Master Golden Joystick. 
But unfortunately, that's the one of the darts and it has to go back. He looks a bit steamed coming off this. He doesn't look happy. No, he doesn't. And then Dominic Diamond tells him that that final braid was the double 16, which is a favorite of Eric's. And then in almost a flashback to that, uh, the boxing episode we had in episode two, he said, yeah, I've been missing that one a lot lately too. Oh, oh my heart broke a little oh, no. because it's just like, Dominic's like, you look a little dejected. Here, let me pour some salt in the wound and squirt lemon juice in the eyes. But also, that's actually the sort of thing Jim Bowen would say, more in yeah. a kindly kind of consolation way when people screwed up the uh, the celebrity throws yes. on Bullseye. And Dominic is clearly seems to be au fait with the darts, but also is really settling into that Jim Bowen role. He wants to take over Bullseye. He's so Jim Bowen in this. In fact, he, they even do the Bullseye gag. Yeah, I say completely his... ignoring how upset the, the contestant is. And he's just like, you didn't win. Here's what you would have won. Here's what you're going to want. Bum, 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 bum. Dave Perry, quick as a flash, back on with the robe and back <laughs> yeah. out there, wafts the joystick around a bit and then walks off with it. And Bristow's like, oh, I go now. Oh, just a small violin playing. Yeah, the Charlie Brown music. It's <laughs> sad Charlie oh, no, Brown the, music and he walks away. Uh, the theme from the end of The Incredible Hulk. But boom, Celebrity Challenge. I got to say this game I've still not played it. I really want to just for that section because the game looks so good. Mm, Those graphics really nice. feel like an arcade. That's why I was thinking of getting him to play one of the more interactive arcade games because they're big, vibrant, well designed. We see it a lot because she gets hit in the head a lot, but the animation of when she gets hit in the head is really well animated. Like yeah. like there's there's like the braids all fly off in different directions and she disappears back through the uh, the stock's head hole. Yeah. And it looks like a great game. I've no idea how it fares up with the rest of the game. Well, I, I had a quick scrub through of it on YouTube today, and it looks to go into a very, very different game after that. It almost feels like an isometric, almost platformer afterwards. Interesting. Of, of, of doing a lot of exploring. I didn't get a chance to watch it like in detail, but it, when I was scrubbing through, it didn't look like you were doing a lot more of this. It almost felt like this was like, this is the start of the game to tell the story. It's very story driven. Like the first. Uh, seven minutes of this sort of like 30 minute video I watched was the exposition talking about the creation of Valhalla and Thor and Loki and, and all this sort of stuff. Did you actually just watch a hooky copy of the first Thor movie by mistake? <laughs> Quite possibly. But Dominic Diamond tells us that perhaps he would have done better if he'd have spoken to the Games Master in the consultation zone. So why don't we head on over there right now? Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my kingdom. I keep running out of lives on Disney's DuckTales. Is there any way I could get any more? Still languishing behind on DuckTales? Oh dear, oh dear, you are in need of help. Now please listen very carefully. If you visit the African mines, you'll be sent back to Transylvania, where you'll find two extra lives. You can then return to Duckburg through the mirror at the start of the level. Repeat this procedure as often as you like to build up a hearty reserve of lives. Thanks very much. Bye. I'm delighted to help. And Gig is off in the consultation zone this week. An absolute corker of a game. DuckTales for the oh, NES. Woohoo! Oh, what a game! This game is so good and is still so good. And they did a remastered version with, with like updated graphics, but still the same core. Yep. That was great as well. So good. That was so good. And I can understand why the this kid was stuck on it because it was also a tough game. Yeah, yeah. In any iteration, NES, 
um, Game Boy there was one that was that was really tough that's the one I remember playing the most yeah so I understand why they came here for help yeah I, I mean I got the game on the, the Disney Afternoon collection that they released for the PlayStation where you got DuckTales uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers uh, Darkwing Duck I think is the other oh, one oh let's get dangerous let's get dangerous and DuckTales 2 I think is on there I think Chippendale 2 is on there as well but it is like that's the game that I of the, all the games I've got for my PlayStation I feel like I've played DuckTales the most quickly followed up by Darkwing Duck because that's an amazing game I tell you what you know what's going to sell me on Disney Plus it's not going to be any of the Star Wars stuff it's like oh by the way we've put up DuckTales the original we've put up Darkwing Duck we've put up Tailspin yep. we've put up Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Goof Troop. Ah, oh, see, I wasn't going to go with Goof Troop. I was going to go with Gummy Bears. Oh, bouncing here and there and everywhere. Them's the ones. <laughs> um, anyway, this kid uh, needs some extra lives in DuckTales to get along the way. I did check. This is the only way to get uh, some extra lives in the game. There's no just, like, cheat to get bonus lives. The thing I love about this entire hint is it's not an obvious complete the level, you muppet. It's not a cheat. It's a genuine exploit and loophole in the game. And I love that because that's... That's the sort of thing which it, I, I like things like that. The yeah. most recent example of it I can think of is before they patched it in Red Dead Redemption 2, where there was a spot where randomly some of the best horses in the game would spawn. Oh, right. And you could just keep going back and reloading until you got you got the horse that you wanted. And I think I ended up with like the second best horse in the game, which I called Roadhouse. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's two uh, bonus lives you can get in Transylvania if you go via the African forest. And then from Transylvania, you can find an exit back to Duckburg and then just go repeat the process. Just repeat the process over and over again. And I'll be honest, I got a thrill out of hearing Patrick Moore say DuckTales and Duckburg. Yes. I get the feeling Patrick Moore did like a bit of DuckTales. He was probably a big fan of Scrooge McDuck. Oh, he's definitely a launchpad man. Really? You think? <laughs> oh, I think he's probably a launchpad man. I think he would find him charming. Charming, but he doesn't quite understand why. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Like, he, 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 he likes a touch of the rogue. I mean, you said there that... <laughs> you said that you Diamondisms are coming quick and fast. Hello, Games Master. The eyeball monster at the end of level two in Altered Beast keeps on killing me. How can I destroy it? I must say, I'm rather surprised you haven't managed to dispose of this ocular ogre yet. All that's required is a little courage and nerve. Simply get as close to the monster as possible, then activate your force field. The eyeball monster will then be out of sight, out of mind. Thanks, bye. You said that you liked the, the first one because it is like a genuine sort of like, you know, here is what you can do in order to get the most out of your time playing the game. Whereas this second one on Altered <laughs> Beast, kid can't beat the second level boss. Games Master says, just go up to it and use your special attack and it dies quickly. Like, what have you been doing with your life on this game? <laughs> yeah, what There's some doing? sass. And again, what were you doing up until this point? Were you, were you just trying to use harsh language? How <laughs> were you attempting to get past this boss? Uh, who's next up, I wonder? Hello. Hello, and nice to see you. Now, what can I do for you? I've been trying for hours, but I cannot kill the wart in Mario 2. Could you help me? <laughs> Simple, dear boy. Catch the vegetables which come out of the pots and throw them at wart. Six vegetables in his mouth will defeat him. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Right, you. And then you get to the last one, which is Super Mario Brothers 2. Kid can't work out how to beat Wart. It's like, mate, you've been catching and throwing veg this entire game. Why didn't you think to catch and throw the veg at Wart? Uh, but let's have our final challenge and tell us what it is. Here's Games Master. Hello again. 
not doing too well today, are we? Two failures out of two. Perhaps I've been overestimating your ability. For the last of this week's challenges, I've opted for a game by the name of Panzer Kickboxing. Uh, in this rather lax interpretation of the Queensbury rules, one seems to be allowed to kick as well as to punch. I should stress that I nonetheless require an exemplary display of gamesmanship. May the best man win. Gamesmaster buries the first two competitors and he says, huh, zero for two, I see. Guess I overestimated you. And I'm just like, mate, we're only human. We're not a giant cybernetic head in a weird alternate reality dimension thing. Cut us some slack. Oh, he's the, the Galactic Scoutmaster, as Dominic Diamond referred to him on this episode. You can dib-dib-dob off. <laughs> um, he says that this is kickboxing. It's a lax version of the Queensbury rules. Panzer kickboxing for the Amiga. It looks great. Like, again, with a lot of these Amiga games, God darn, they look really, really good. I remember really liking the look of this game when I saw it in like CVG and stuff around that time. But of course, all I was seeing was still shots. And still shots of a lot of games look great. You don't see how they play. Hey. Well, Dominic Diamond brings out two tiny, tiny children um, who said they've got a bigger family war than the Ewings have got at the moment. This is Jason and Lisa Powell. I like that Jason's already getting his, his excuses in, saying that he's not had much practice on this game, uh, but he still thinks he can be his sister anyway, because he normally wins at home. Oh, oh, the cocky arrogance of youth. He set himself up for the fall, whether it was in one take or 30 takes, <laughs> they weren't going to stop until he lost. Uh, Lisa says that it won't be a dirty fight, she's going to win anyway. Well, Tim Boone from CBG is our color commentator. He does think this will be dirty. He said you can even bite your opponent if you want to. Okay, uh, this game got a bit more interesting to me then because I'm like, they, I mean, none of them managed it. No, they were essentially just missing, a, wildly missing a lot of these punches. This was two drunks in Glasgow fighting over a chip supper level fighting. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they spent half their time not hitting each other, but more kind of sometimes flailing in exactly the same direction yeah. at an invisible... A ghost was trying to steal their chip supper. Well, I was going to say, at one point, Lisa does turn around <laughs> and just starts whipping the air madly. This game could be a good game. It suffers a problem a lot of fighting games of that era had, which is they only have one button. And so you are, to do different moves, you're trying to combine directions and button presses or button presses with hold versus... Really, fighting games didn't truly become into their own until we had four plus buttons. Yeah. On, or three plus to include the Mega Drive. But basically until you had that ability to delineate different movesets or different types of attack to different buttons. The one exception to that is the Barbarian series because you could decapitate a bitch in that. <laughs> and then the Goblin would come along and kick the head off the screen. Well, Jason does win the first round. Uh, he gets it down to, he gets Lisa down to one health. Uh, and then oddly, the camera pulls away and we get this really weird sort of like crossfade edit, which is why I thought it was that challenge. I think they just cut out the second round because the first round was not exciting. No. The second round probably went the time and was also full of them fighting a ghost for a chip supper. That sounds about right, because they do then say, well, this is the final round now. How many rounds could there have been, actually? Was it? Did they say three, or could we have actually suffered five of these things? <laughs> anyway, this final round, they miss loads of strikes. Lisa then knocks him down. He gets back up with seven seconds to go. Lisa knocks him down again, and she wins. That was some fight. Jason, you were well ahead at the start, but then Lisa started fighting back furiously. What went wrong? Well, I think at the beginning I was using tactics more. I was going, I was staying back and then going in for the odd shot. 
and then at the end I started going in to try and knock her out. Right. That's when I think she caught me. That's right, you committed yourself and you paid dearly for it. Lisa, what a fight. Tim and I in the commentary box, we thought you were out of it, but then you just fought back. What happened? Well, at the beginning, I thought the joystick wasn't working or something because I kept just being knocked down. And then I just remembered that um, what I'd been doing, playing before, and then I just, and I just won. Okay, you did very well. So um, when you go home tonight, are you going to have a fight of your own and then see who wins that? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck for tonight then. Lisa, as our winner today, you have won one of the most coveted prizes in television. Tonight, Lisa is the proud winner of our Golden Games Master joystick. It was... A fight. A fight, yeah. Uh, Jason, you know, fair play to him, says the error was all on him, played tactically at the start, but in the end, just went in too hard. Uh, whereas Lisa uh, didn't think the joystick was working at first because she kept getting knocked down. I'm not surprised. That was a freakish-looking joystick. Yeah, weird old control stick, that. And I thought it was like... Um... Uh, there was a, a joystick called the Navigator. I blanked on the name. I looked it up earlier. But mm. essentially, it was that kind of like ray gun look with the joystick on top and a trigger. But it wasn't that color and it wasn't that shape. And They look like Skelectrix controllers. It, they did a bit. And I'm just like, that is the last controller I would have given to them for a fighting game. Your standard quick joy or quick shot would have been much better because you've got a nice button for your thumb and you've got a good stick to grasp. Diamondism. Diamondism. <laughs> and, and, and away you go. Yeah. That was just an odd one. And I'm like, wow, did, did they get those on a bet or something? I mean, yeah. Which peripheral manufacturer, like, we want you to show these because we think these are going to be the next big thing. These are going to be the bee's knees. <laughs> no, they weren't. I mean, they were. And <laughs> the bee's knees are not the most important part of a bee. Those tend to be the wings because bees spend more time flying than they generally do doing squats well and this is what you come to this podcast for it's finally debunking a lot of these common phrases bees don't need knees <laughs> they're lying they're part of the jfk conspiracy <laughs> have it stone uh lisa wins the joystick jason looks very very sad about it he does and i don't blame him one because obviously he's never going to hear the end of it and two that game was kind of crap. Yeah, I mean, that's that's two kids in a row now where we've we've thought they're going to get a lot of stick for this at school. You had the one kid who lost against Annabelle Croft. Now you've got a kid losing against his sister. And what I think is his younger sister as well. I mean, at least, the, uh, was it Said who lost against Annabelle Croft? At least he had the fact that he got to hang out with Annabelle Croft and probably got some photos and autographs and maybe a hug and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, he, he had mileage there. What did this kid have? They gave me a crap joystick. I didn't win the golden joystick, and now I'm a failure. And my mum was there to see it. Oh, wow, yeah, she was as well. <laughs> Double humiliation. So with that bout of high-tech fisticuffs, time has run out on this week's Games Master. But never mind, the nettle tea's brewed up a treat. I'm off to quaff, and I'll see you next week at the same time. Good night. Uh, well, let's have a nice cup of nettle tea, which is Ooh, our drink of the week. Rustic. <laughs> it is rustic. Have you uh, ever had nettle tea? I have not, no. It's hot water that tastes a bit of leaf. I've tried some. I've legitimately had nettle tea, and I'm just like, eh. Mm. I mean, it doesn't taste bad, but it also doesn't taste of much. Maybe it hasn't been steeped enough. Maybe I, I'm at fault because Dominic seems well into his nettle tea. Yeah, he loves it this week. He, he loves his teas in general. He's all about them. Uh, so that's episode four of Games Master. What did you make of it? We're nearly at the halfway point of series one. I'm probably feeling about this the same sort of way I was feeling about episode three. 
it's okay. It's a fun episode. The reviews were good. Yeah, I enjoyed the reviews. The Sega PR bit was weird. The celebrity challenge, the actual challenge itself, just for that game and the image it burnt into my brain, that pushes it up high again. But the kickboxing, less so. I think I'm going to stick with about 70% again. Maybe No, you know what? I'm going to go with 69. <laughs> 69, dude. <Nice. laughs> I've actually got low. I've gone 60% for this episode. Ooh. I wasn't keen on it. Like uh, the challenges didn't really do a lot for me. Um, I, as, as someone who's not really into me darts, Eric um, Eric Bristow didn't really do a lot for me as a celebrity. The the kickboxing challenge was a bit a lot of whiffing going on, and there was that, that whiffing is actually the best word to describe that fight. <laughs> and when I was watching Road Rash, I just wanted to be playing Skitchin, which was a much superior game. But I will say, we got in you know in the consultation zone, Ducktales, Altered Beast, and Super Mario Two. Those are three classics of this era. And Populous 2 in the review Populous zone. Populous 2 in the review zone. And, I mean, and again, to go back to the Celebrity Challenge, whether you like Bristol or not, how lovely did that game look? That's true, I, yeah. I, I, that game, as I say, for me, stuck in my head for now 20... 20 plus years. Twenty, Yeah, 27 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think it's, I'm also... I'm, and also particularly the animation of the barmaid being hit in the head with an axe because we saw it a lot. I'm also unfairly comparing Eric Bristow to Annabelle Croft. And I suppose really I need to get down from the highs of Croft in order to fairly judge these celebrity challenges. Yeah, comparing Annabelle Croft to Eric Bristow is a disservice to both of them because Bristow is not going to be as warm, engaging and quite frankly stunning as Annabelle Croft. <laughs> And Annabelle Croft probably doesn't stand a chance on a double 16 finish either. No, probably not. But I'm sticking with my 60% on this one. But, you know, I will say, spoilers for, I think it's next week's episode. It was better than next week's episode. Oh, is next week's episode going to be a long one? I think it's the one with the neighbours challenge. Oh, oh. Might need a stiff one for that. <laughs> Diamondism. Diamondism. Anyway, I'm going to go make us a nice cup of nettle tea and we'll see what happens next week. Good night. Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsolePod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen and at AshVersus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.